Exodus chapter 3 this morning. And uh, in our last lesson, we left Moses uh, tending sheep or with his father-in-law, I guess, abiding with his father-in-law. And, and uh, now this week we find him again working for his father-in-law. And uh, I didn't do a deep dive here, but for those of you that read your Bibles, and uh, we're, this is Exodus, where are, we, where are you guys at in your Bible reading program? Are you this far into the... I'm doing a chronological one, so mine's a little different, but... Uh, well, nobody's reading their Bible, so I guess you're not in Exodus. <laughs> no, oh, you're just not this far yet. Okay. All right, so... Are you way ahead? I'm not way ahead. I'm just reading differently, but... Um, no, I just... So I'm not doing like a normal 365... Uh, thing so I didn't know where they you would be at this far in, in the Bible but sorry yeah, defensive my goodness but for those of you that have been reading the or that have written the book of Exodus you may have noticed there is uh, the father-in-law of Moses is mentioned in a couple different names Rule and Jethro and those things and and some scholars say that Jethro was the uh, a title meaning his excellency and rule was, his actual given name, and, and I looked at some different things and, and the, how the Hebrew word can mean brother-in-law or if maybe perhaps a family member. Uh, the, the father figure passes away and the eldest would take that place. And so, uh, But I did not get bogged down. I wanted to look into it a little bit more, but I did not uh, come to a satisfactory conclusion for myself because it wasn't the focus of the lesson. And I had some other things I was working on this week. And so uh, if anybody has any ideas on that, I would love to hear it. Uh, about his father-in-law and, and the names there, uh, as I uh, no doubt I'll go back and study that. But we're in Exodus chapter 3 this morning. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 10, and then we'll look at some things uh, from the Word of God. It says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, Behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, <clears throat> why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw now nigh thither, or draw not nigh thither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard the cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land unto a good and Land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with this. But we see Moses here as he's uh, tending the flock of his father-in-law. He's in the backside of the desert, the Bible tells us. And I feel like I've been to the backside of the desert. 
Uh, in my time in the Air Force, it seemed like every time the Air Force said, hey, Sergeant Nagarmo, we need you to go somewhere, it was always the desert. Uh, I guess not always. I did go to Thailand and Vietnam and, and of course, Okinawa, Japan, which is a tropical island. But uh, I think nine deployments, and they were all to the desert. And, boy, did it feel like the backside of the desert in my life at times, uh, being away from family. But So he goes to the backside of the desert with the, the flock here, and, and he has an encounter with God. And of course, you know the, the burning bush, and God calls out and says, Here am I, or... Uh, God calls out to Moses and he says, here am I. And uh, he says, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes. It says this, for the place whereupon thou standest is holy ground. And uh, I think it's almost conclusive against the assumption that the place was previously uh, a sanctuary. There was nothing holy necessarily about that place prior to this. Um. Moses knew nothing of its holiness. I mean, he was just taking the sheep around, trying to find some, some food and some water perhaps. And, and, uh, and he had been in this part of the country for, for many years, 40 years approximately. And, and, uh, but it became holy because of the presence of God. And, and so he comes to this place and he meets God. And, and this morning we all have holy ground in our lives. Uh, It's whenever God speaks to us in such a way, our lives are changed. And uh, where is your holy ground? One of my places is right here. When God worked in my heart and said, I want you to go into the ministry. And as we go through this lesson, I had a lot of the excuses Moses had. But the reality is, there are times in our lives when God calls us to a greater holiness than which we are in. And uh, Moses understands, he, he begins to realize who is there. And he, the Bible tells us he's afraid to look upon God. In, verse, uh, <clears throat> in these verses here, but look at verse 10. And this is where we want to draw our attention this morning as we go through some of these things. It says this, Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. We've been talking about God having a plan for Moses' life and how God brought him to this place. And now God begins to reveal some specifics. And he says, I got a plan, Moses, and I want you to be a part of this. And I trust you've experienced God working in your life to bring you closer to himself. Uh, As we look at the life of Moses, we we mentioned in the introductory lesson about God desires a relationship with us. God desires intimacy with us. But oftentimes when God speaks, how do we respond? Uh, I'm afraid as we see in these verses that we're going to look at, we often respond with excuses such as Moses. Where God wants to work in our lives. God wants to draw us to a greater fellowship and greater relationship, but we're resistant. Uh, Moses does not know it, but he's about to begin a journey into uh, some intimacy with God. And of course we know, no doubt, he's learned some humility here in the Midian Desert and how you know he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was somebody. And now he's just a shepherd. He's just tending sheep for his father-in-law. 
Uh, and so God, no doubt, had humbled him and, and dealt with some things. And, uh, but at some point, Moses went from feeling like he could solve everybody's problems when he kills the Egyptian to now where he has all these excuses and he's incompetent to do what God has for him. And uh, Moses protests God's calling on his life here. And uh, I'm afraid many believers still use these same excuses when God calls them to serve him. Let's look at his first excuse this morning in verse 11. We read verses uh, 1 through 10, but as we continue through this, we'll actually look at stuff from chapters 3 and 4 as we continue. But look at verse 11. It says, And Moses said unto God, Who am I? that I should go into Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. And when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, he shall serve God upon this mountain. But verse 11 again, And Moses said, Who am I that I should do this? God, what am I? He's he's not qualified, he says. Uh, God, this is not for me. Uh, This ain't for me. And he said, Certainly I will... Be with thee, God says. Uh, What a blessing to know that God would be with us. Uh, God wants to do something in the life of Moses. And we must remember when God calls us into greater fellowship with him, uh, when God calls us to work for him, maybe God's working on somebody's heart to go into the ministry or, or to minister at a greater level within our congregation here at Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. Uh, we must always remember that God says He will be with thee. It's not about being qualified. God is, is an omnipresent God. He can be with you wherever you go, in whatever you do. Uh, he never calls us to anything by ourselves. And so when God is calling out to Moses, he's not expecting Moses to go on this journey back to Egypt and to talk to Pharaoh and he's just going to hang out in Midian in the bush. That's not our God. Our God promises to go with him. God never calls us to do anything by ourselves. I'll remind you of what Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. Look what it says in the latter part of the verse. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Listen this morning, if God is calling you to something, He's going to go with you. And so, don't resist the call of God in your life because you feel like you're not qualified. Listen, I'll be the first one. I'm not qualified to be here today. I went to Bible college. But in my mind, in order to do what I'm doing today, I always figured you'd go to four years and let some Bible college sanction you and say, man, this guy's ready to go. That's how I was thinking. But the reality and the truth of the matter is Moses never went to Bible college. There's a lot of folks that have done great things for God with very little education, formal education. And so we must understand that when God calls us, he's the one that will equip us. And, of course, we'll, we'll continue in this lesson, but we... We need to yield ourselves to him and allow him to develop us and to work in us. Uh, but this morning, don't forget that God will go with you. If he's calling you to something, he'll go with you. He's not going to forsake you. I know like Moses, I felt unqualified in the past. 
But I'm telling you this morning, it doesn't matter who we are. All that matters is who God is and that He's with us. We can go and do great things for God. I want you to remember the title of the old hymn, Little as Much When God is in It. And so if God is calling you to something, if you go with Him, you can't go wrong. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. God can take something that is, that is not worthy, make it worthy, make a person worthy, and, and we can go on and do great things for Him. And uh, when I was, when the Lord was working on me and uh, to, and I didn't, I was willing to do whatever type of, I would, if the church needed a full-time janitor, I'll do it. But when pastor approached me about coming on staff here at the church, I was intimidated. You know, I talked to Rick Donnelly. Many of you got to know him at family camp this last year. And, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, if you just remember that it's God that is doing the work in and through you. That's the blessed place to be. You don't need the qualifications of a Bible college or whatever the case may be. Now, I, I would like to think I'm not a complete imbecile. I have some of an education. It may not show all the time when I'm up in front of you all, but, but listen, I just want to encourage you this morning. It doesn't matter who you are. God can use you. And if He calls on you to do a work for Him, be willing to submit. And so God solves Moses' problem. He says, who am I? And, and God says, don't worry, I'll go with you. Not a big deal, Moses. Uh, it's not about you anyway. Right. And I'm going to go with you, so no problem. Well, uh, in verse 13, Moses continues his protest. In verse 13, it says this, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel... And shall say unto them, The God of our fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And he says, I don't know enough, God. I'm not educated enough again. I I don't know what to tell these people. Well, God answers this in verse 14, and he said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Again, it's not about you, Moses. Uh, listen, we always need to remember it's about God. He, but Moses asked, what's he, what is he going to tell these people? And God tells him, tell them that I am sent you. And uh, the name I am is, is somewhat difficult to translate. My understanding is it's all consonants. And uh, many scholars believe it should be pronounced Yahweh, and which really doesn't, Solve a lot, but uh, the word is a verb that it has all three tenses at once. This is amazing. It's remarkable. Uh, this name reveals God is. He has always been and He always will be. The ultimate meaning of this we can find in, in John eight fifty eight. It says this, Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And so we see that uh, the real being of God, His self-existence, and that He is the being of beings. <laughs> and uh, it denotes that His eternity and immutability, His constancy, His faithfulness in fulfilling promises. Uh, the I Am sent me. And uh, this, it's hard to comprehend. It includes all time, past, present, and those things to come. Uh, 
not only am I at the present, but I am what has been and I am what shall be. The I am. And uh, he assures Moses uh, in these next verses also that that he's going to be with him. But what a greater person to go with you. This is the same, the I am is the same one that said, I'm going to go with you, Moses. And by the way, here's the message. It's the I am that sent me. And as we'll see later on, that the children of Israel were calling out to God uh, under their oppression in, in, in Egypt, and, and God had heard that. But um, <clears throat> what a great message we have. If we go with the self-existent, all-knowing one, we can go in confidence. I'm not going with my own message. I'm not going in my own abilities. I'm not going because I decided to go. I'm going because the I am. The self-existent God has is, is, is sent me. And, uh, and so it doesn't matter what all you know. And listen, I'm learning as I go. And I think that's true of anybody in ministry, and that's true of the Christian life. Um. And God will give us what we need as we depend on Him as we go. Uh, he is the I Am. But as, and we'll see, uh, we won't take a lot of time here. I'm already 25 minutes into this. But um, Moses uh, needs some more assurances. And, and uh, we see in this latter part of, of chapter 3 how God gives him some signs. Um, in verse 20, God assures Moses he will smite the Egyptians with wonders and signs and, and those things. And, and so we, this is the account where Moses casts down his rod. It becomes a serpent, and, and he picks it up, and it becomes a rod again. And, and uh, <clears throat> so God gives him some signs, and he, and he puts his hand into his bosom, and it becomes leprous, and he, and he reaches it back out. <clears throat> but listen, it doesn't matter what you know. We have the I am on our side. No one wants to listen to me is his next excuse. Look at chapter 1 and verse 4. Excuse me, chapter 4 and verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said to them, What is this, that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And, it, and he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled before it. Before it. And so... We see this where he casts this rod down and it becomes a serpent and he picks it up and uh, it becomes a rod again. That's a miracle. <laughs> uh, I don't know what was going through Moses' mind totally at the time, uh, but certainly that would have been an indication that God is on his side because that's not normal. That's miraculous. God can do things that, that we don't understand. And so he gives them the sign, and uh, he will perform the sign in Egypt uh, so that the Israelites will believe God has appeared to him. Most said, they're not going to listen to me. And God said, oh, you know what, I'll give you some things that, that will confirm that, that you're my messenger and that you're my prophet. And, uh, and again, I mentioned that God tells him to put his hand into his bosom. And, and the idea of putting it into his bosom means to, to kind of bring it inward. And, and one of the commentaries said that he would put it under his his hand under his cloak or his coat and, and bring it out, and it was leprous. And, um, <clears throat> but God gave him these signs uh, as an indication that God was with him. 
nobody's going to listen to me. Well, that's right, Moses, they probably won't. But I want them to listen to me, is what God's saying. Uh, they're going to listen to me. And uh, Look at Ephesians 3.20, if you would like to turn there. We find some comforting words of assurance of the same awesome power when we are doing God's will in our lives. We may not cast a rod down and a serpent appear or anything like that and, and experience those things. But look what he, he, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. God can do amazing things. And so when we go in obedience and in the name of the Lord, we can go in His power. Knowing that we're obeying the I Am, we're, we're being obedient to God, and, and we have God's power on our side. Uh, we can go in, our, in that confidence. <clears throat> Look at verse 10 in chapter 4. Back in Exodus, uh, well, 10 through, through 12. Look what the Word of God says here. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And so Moses comes to another excuse. He just won't give in to God. He just refuses to uh, surrender. And, and, you know, God knew how He created Moses. So any speech impediment or any lack of eloquence, uh, certainly I lack that. Uh, God understood that, yet He called him anyway. Listen, did you know God knows your abilities? He knows your capabilities. He, He knows what He's given or have not given in the form of talents in our life. And, and uh, we don't go forward because we're confident in our flesh. What a mistake. What a poor decision. But don't you love how patient our God is with Moses here? Boy, this is excuse number four. When my kids give me excuses after I ask them to do something, I don't let it get to four. Uh, Man, these kids get older. They think they got a brain. We were talking with some folks last night, fellowshipping, and their brains are barely like a sprout by the time they're 18 years old. It seems like they're idiots. But are we not supposed to represent the forgiveness and the patience of our God in our homes. And so we see how the Lord was just patient with Moses. Now, later on, the Lord starts to get a little frustrated with him after number five. But, um, but what am I saying this morning? Don't forget to be patient with others. God's always patient with us. But Moses says, I don't have any ability. I can't talk and... Uh, he's not good with words. He's slow to speech, and he's got a slow tongue. And in verse eleven, the Lord tells Moses that uh, God deter- understands that. God knows his abilities, and uh, he said, "Now therefore, go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say." Again, our confidence is not in and of ourselves; it's in God. 
God can overcome any limiting factors in our lives or any shortfalls that we perceive that we have. If He's calling us, He's already taken that into account. That's a blessing to know. When God spoke to my heart and said, Justin, I'd like you to do this, or, or I, wanna, I want you to do this for me, and uh, I always have to remember that God's already thought about my limiting factors. My lack of eloquence or, or my lack of education. And, and I must remember that he will be with me. He can be with my mouth. He can uh, teach me those things. And so listen this morning. Uh, there really aren't any good excuses for resisting the call of God in your life. Uh, there isn't a good one. But that brings us to the last excuse Moses offers up. In verse 13, uh, we see really probably the most revealing and honest part of Moses' attitude as God's dealing with him in this uh, situation. In verse 13 it says, And he said, O my Lord, send I pray thee by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And, And this excuse is simply, I don't want to do it. He's had all these excuses up to this point, but Moses finally gets to the place when all those are exhausted and God's resolved all those things in his life and saying, I can overcome any of those excuses that you have. It really just comes down to, I don't want to do it. Uh, He has begun by telling the Lord, here am I. Back in chapter 3, remember when God had called called out to him from the bush and his response was, here am I. And now... He says, send someone else. I don't want to do it, Lord. And I'm afraid many Christians say here, I am Lord, until they find out what he wants them to do. Then they say, send somebody else. I don't want to do it, Lord. This is too much for me. And we see that the Lord gets angry. The Word of God tells us in in verse 14, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? And I know that he can speak well, and also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And so that's the beginning of God working in this situation to uh, help Moses to understand, Okay, I'll I'll send Aaron with you. Um, The Lord again, is patient with Moses. And and the Lord works with Moses in this matter. And he finally agrees to go and and head to Egypt with his wife and sons in verse 18. And uh, we may not read all these as we go through this, but uh, I'll trust you can skim through them or read the passage a little bit later. But on the way, God causes Moses to become gravely ill. Uh, And he gets sick, and and, uh, it's likely due to his disobedience and refusing the circumcision of his son... And uh, that's an indication because his wife, uh, <clears throat> in uh, well, Genesis 17 tells us that circumcision is a big deal. Genesis 17, 14, And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people, and he hath broken my covenant. And so God took this very serious, and so if Moses is... Is as he, even though he was making this journey, he had not made everything right in his life. It would appear, and uh, but Zipporah, his wife, takes the child, 
the son in, in verses 24 through 26, and, and uh, she circumcised the boy, and, and she thinks this is a disgusting act. She, he, she calls Moses a bloody man because of this, and she doesn't necessarily understand all of that. And uh, However, when the Lord appears ready to put Moses to death, she, she takes care of that. And she circumcises this child, and, and Moses is spared in there. And um, It's just a reminder of God's ordinances are sacred. Uh, God demands obedience. Uh, and oftentimes, I'm afraid, we take it a little too lightly. We make light of the things that God expects or, or wants of in our life. And listen, I believe we ought to have standards. I believe we ought to have convictions in our life. And uh, but those things that are plain in the Word of God, we must adhere to. Um, and we need to be careful not to send our preferences and, and make those the commands of the Lord. Uh, because those aren't the things that the Lord's going to hold people accountable for. But, but God's ordinances are sacred. To neglect or to abuse them is profoundly sinful, I would say. It's a various sin. And, and uh, according to 1 Corinthians 11... Uh, when they were talking about the Lord's Supper and the, the church there at Corinth was uh, making light of the Lord's Supper, we might say they weren't doing the Lord's Supper uh, biblically or as it was directed. The Lord says this, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. That's a big deal. The word sleep there has the idea of death. And, so, and Moses was, was nigh to death here with illness because he had not taken the things of God seriously in his life. And I'm not telling you this because I know anything, but what I do know is God can make you ill if you're going to be disobedient. Uh, and I see these people on Face Place and, and Insta Chat and all that. They talk about, oh, preachers just trying to scare people into living for God. No, that's biblical. That's God's word. If you're not going to be obedient to what God has directed you to do, there will be chastisement and potentially death. That's scripture. I don't think anybody can argue that. We serve a holy God. Listen, might I remind you, he is the I am. Uh, we serve a holy God, and we need to take the things of God seriously. And in the life of Moses here, he had neglected to do that, and God dealt with him in what it appears to me. And I'll remind you of 1 Samuel 15, 22, and it says, "Obey to obey is better than sacrifice. God wants our obedience. He demands it. And so God commands Aaron, and we're kind of breezing through uh, much of chapter 4 here. And I want to make some application before we close here in a few minutes. But um, <clears throat> to, he, I mean, Aaron's pretty old at this point. He's probably about 83, and he's in Egypt. And he comes out, and he meets uh, Moses there, and uh, they've been apart for many years, and they, they meet again, and they embrace. And uh, Moses tells everything about what God's been doing and, uh, and what God has commanded him to do. And Moses and Aaron then return to Egypt and call in the elders together here in this chapter. And so we see Moses ultimately is obedient to the Lord. And uh, God help us to be obedient. In, in Exodus 40, 30, it says, And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people. And so ultimately, they are obedient. My challenge here on this point is, it's a lot easier to do it right first. Don't put up the fight. Just submit and surrender to the Lord. And 
you know, when the altar is open and God has spoken to your heart, just yield. Leave the excuses at home. And of course, we know that the elders are convinced the Lord cares about them. And so they bow and worship the Lord in, in Exodus 4.31. And the people believed that when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that He had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. If we are obedient to God and we go about our life in, in the ministry, how God directs us, it will be successful. Now, we can't be the gauges of success because sometimes we have a skewed perspective because of our human nature. We start looking at the numbers and we start looking at this, but the reality is the message that God had sent Moses to do and ultimately Aaron going with him, did that not happen in verse 31 of chapter 4? All those excuses Moses had, well, they're not going to listen to me, they're not going to pay attention. Well, the people believed and they worshiped God as a result. Boy, how much... Uh, frustration and difficulty could we avoid if we would just submit to God and His design and His call in our life and just go, understanding that He is the I Am and He will go with us and He will be with us and He will teach us and He will give us the things to say if we would just submit to Him. Many Christians want to say, they say, I, don't, I just feel like I don't, I'm not growing any closer to the Lord. Well, what excuses are you making? What parts of your life are you resisting that God has worked in your heart to say, hey, I want you to give this up or give that up that you might do this and grow closer to me. But oftentimes we feel that way not because God is not there. God is calling out. God wants that intimate relationship. But we have excuse after excuse on why we can't do those things that God has called us to do. Listen, if we can't be faithful in the little things, God's not going to bring us on to more things. Allow God to work in your life and be submissive. If we're going to grow closer to God, it depends on how we respond in the times of holy ground. When God comes to you and speaks to your heart and through the Holy Spirit and says, I want you to do such and such, or I want you to give up such and such, you're on holy ground and you have a decision to make. How are you going to respond? What a great reminder from this account in the life of Moses uh, that you will never get out of a spiritual desert until you stop making excuses and do what God has sent you to this earth to do. Boy, I just feel like the Christian life is so dry. Well, perhaps it's because you're not drawing near to the Lord when He calls. So don't use any of the excuses for not serving God. Here's Moses' excuses, in my words, kind of. I'm not qualified. I do not know enough. No one's going to listen to me. I don't have the abilities. I don't want to do it. Don't get angry at God because you feel like you're in the desert if you are making excuses. This morning, I, I beg of you to submit to the calling of God in your life, whatever that area may be this morning. However God's calling on your heart, just submit to Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. I thank You for Your Word, and I thank You for these examples from Scripture that we can look back, Lord, and that we can learn from. 
And I pray, Lord, that we would not make similar or the same mistakes. But, Lord, you know that we are weak. And oftentimes we do fail. And I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that when you call, that we would be faithful to respond in a way that glorifies you and honors you. And, Father, this morning I pray for the people, Lord, that they would be receptive to your word. And, Father, that whatever you have worked in their lives about, that they would surrender and that they would look to you. And, Father, as we prepare to go to the next hour, we ask that you would meet with us. Lord, we pray that as visitors come into this facility and as the word of God is preached, that you would touch hearts. We're needy people, Lord. We ask that you would work in our midst. We pray that you bless the fellowship, bless the singing and the music. We pray all would be done to your glory. And, Father, that we'd be drawn closer to you through it all. In Jesus' name, amen.